Hello and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. And today is the end of our Easter podcast episodes for this year with our third episode. This is Sydney and I will be reviewing Easter egg coloring kits. This is Beth and I will be talking about Easter traditions among family and friends. This is Cole and I'm going to be talking about one of our very specific Easter traditions, which is watching the Ten Commandment movie every Easter time. And this is Randy and I will be talking about the Easter parade and what it is. As always, we start with our holiday happenings for the week. Not a lot going on as we prepare for the Easter season coming up. Right now, Easter is about three weeks away, but I've noticed already that the decorations themselves are dwindling in stores and are already on sale, even though we still have three weeks till Easter. (laughs) That's great. Now, there's still lots of candy, though, so no problem finding the candy. Another holiday happening is that April Fool's Day is tomorrow. So we are not big partakers of April Fool's, but just a reminder to all of us to not be sucked into some (laughs) April foolery tomorrow. (laughs) And with that, we'll start with our first Easter-related item for the week. Which is reviewing Easter egg coloring kits. So nowadays, you can get all kinds of Easter egg decorating kits from many different stores. Just at Walmart alone, there are at least like a dozen or more. Not all different brands, but different things that you could do. From putting glitter on your eggs to making them into like little emojis (laughs) to um, all kinds of stuff. So I am reviewing four different types of kits today. Well, not all 15. No, that would be too much. She said said it doesn't. No, no, Um, 12. All right, back to Sydney. Back to Sydney. (laughs) It could be a baker's house. Anyways. (laughs) Anywho. So the four kinds that I got, the first two are the same brand. P-A-A-S. Paz. Paz. I always call them Paws. Paws. I don't know if there is a right or wrong. Well, we'll see. Wait, Paws. (laughs) So, okay, so the listener can chime in, let us know. Do you say Paz or do you say Paws? Right. And so those are the first two. And then the second two are R.J. Rabbit's brands. So I colored Easter eggs just recently using these kits. And so I am reviewing today the results of my experience. Yeah. Would any of these kits be good for, you know, doing with your kids or might be a little problematic to be doing with your kids? Right. The brief section that I saw of you doing it yesterday. Yeah. School came in to me doing the very last bit, which was be kind of messy. And this year, more than ever, on places like Facebook, I saw a lot of homemade versions as well of different ways to do decorating. So we aren't looking into those this year, mm-hmm. but there seemed like there was a large variety of ways to color eggs this year. I'm sure oh, that yes. Pinterest can be your friend. Yes, right. yeah. Yeah. yes right. there were quite a few options on Pinterest, whether you want to buy the kits or want to do it yourself. Either way, you'll have beautiful eggs. Right. So the first kit that I did was the regular Easter egg kit that had the cups and the little magic crayon and the little Easter egg holder. The little metal metal one. So I thought of you, Dad, when 
I took out the cups. So when I took out the cups, I was expecting a little packet of those tablets, those color tablets, and try to guess which tablet fit which color cup. However, these ones came with little mats on the bottom of each cup that were filled with color. Oh, right, nice. we've tried both of those before, mm-hmm. and they seem to have about the same effect. So this is similar to the one then that you guys grew up using when you guys were kids. Basically, you fill up the cup with the water and vinegar. Right. It dissolves, and that's what you use for the first one that you did. Right. Now, how many colors did that one come with? Brown, four or five. Okay. So I used two of the cups for just normal color, you know, whatever was on the pad, that's what I used. And then I took out the pads at the bottom, actually, and used tablets from another kit because those were the cups that I had. Oh, okay. So it was easier to, to use. Right. So the other kits did not come with cups. Okay. So the cups are very convenient. That's a nice thing to have. Exactly. So, so what did they suggest to do without the cups? Get cups. <laughs> so just use like a mug or something. No. No, they, they but actually that's what you have to do. That's what you would have to do, but it showed pictures of cups. So it assumed <laughs> that you already had cups for maybe like a previous year. You saved your cups and Or bought them. some more cups. I don't know. That's crazy. Did you see cups available just to buy? I just mean, apart cups? from the simple kit that I bought. Yeah. No, right? <laughs> yeah. No, there weren't like empty cups available. <laughs> right. No. So that's just an interesting That's an interesting assumption assumption. on their part. Yeah, yeah. So... The other two cups, I took out the mats and put their tablets in. So they actually had tablets and instructions. So the second kit that I did was the Paz or Paz um, marble. So the idea is to marble the eggs. So the color goes on in a kind of marbleized. Right, in marbleized fashion. So I had to mix in vegetable oil with the vinegar and water. As part of the directions. As part of the directions. The idea was that you kept turning the egg and the vinegar within the cup in order to get the marbling effect. And it's suggested only around like 30 seconds. So sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. It resulted in like blotches. I was not super impressed with the marbling So you basically effect. have the white egg with some color blotches on it. So I guess to think, make it more... Think like giraffe kind of looking splotches on a white egg. With a core white as the base. The other ones look better though. Yeah, so I agree. So these I left in longer. Okay, so 30 seconds. Okay. So, yes, you make a good point. I just kept them in longer and kept rotating them until I liked kind of more of the result. So, I did the color yellow and the color pink. Oh, the pink turned out better. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Because it made the white like a super light pink, and then you have a dark pink that marbleizes it. Versus the yellow, where you can't really see that the... The light yellow blends. Yeah, it really blends into that white color. Which you can see that it is stained. Like a yellow yellow color, but it's so close to the normal white that you can't really tell. I wonder if you could do multiple dyes. So now that these are dry, if you had the kit still, could you put them back in... And it would marbleize over top of that Probably. with another color. Yeah, as long as you put um, vegetable oil in it. Again, okay. Yeah. It came with a little square of cloth to wipe off the excess oil. So when you first take them out and when they start drying, there's still oil on it. So you have to wipe them off. But the cloth was super thin and it ended up getting all over my hands. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, so I ended up using a couple paper towels to wipe them off and that worked really well. Now, were you actually wiping or were you just kind of dabbing or covering it i just wonder if it would smear if you wiped well i waited a while to see if the color would dry okay 
And then I first was dabbing, but then I just started. It was fine? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The oil came off, and I don't have any excess on my hands now when I pick them up. So I can see then the darker color. So if you had done the same thing with the blue or the green, Mm -hmm. it probably would have been fine because it would have gotten the white, the light color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then The yellow one's the most problematic. Right. Right, right. So that was the second kit. The third kit that I did was the RJ Rabbit Rainbow Dippin'. (laughs) <laughs> Easy to say. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so this was what I used the other two cups for from the first kit. So I just used their dye. I didn't use the color tablets from this kit. And so it comes with one rainbow dipper with adjustable cup stop. So this adjustable cup stopper is basically like one of those little metal things to hold your eggs. But it's not metal. It's, it's not plastic. metal. It's plastic. Yes. It's really, it looks like it's nice and sturdy. It is. And there are little notches on the side that allow you to move this, like, hook, this yeah, green the, hook up and down. It's the part that holds to the cup. Right. That's right. And those little slots help you adjust the depth to which the egg will be in the liquid. The idea of this kit is to have that multicolored egg. That we always dreamed of. <laughs> yeah, right. In an easy way. So you're in not holding way. by hand that little metal thing in right. the coloring stuff for Which a while. Which was unpleasant right. for me when I was yeah, little. Yeah, it was for everybody. Yes. Well, they eventually yeah. had to like prop spoons up. Yes. But even then, they, they could they like slip knock over and, they, yes. and get dye everywhere. This is awesome. I love this. I wish there was more of it to buy at stores. This is right. useful for kids. Every dye kit probably yeah that worked on the egg holder that came with the paz eggs is that right was the the cup that you put that on the paz cup yeah so okay it doesn't have to be their cup did their egg thing come with cups no okay none of those ones didn't either (laughs) apart from the first kit none of the others came with interesting but if you look at it it's a nice wide hook to hold on to the cup so you could use it potentially with a mug yeah, the mug is some mugs then. Thin. Yeah, yeah, like a standard coffee mug though. That would probably yeah. Yeah, it would probably work fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah, That's this great. is amazing. Like this was probably my favorite tool of all the kits. The only critique that I have is that it only comes with one. Right, companies <laughs> listening that make these kits, why not sell that? What do they call it? An, an egg rainbow dipper adjustable cup stop. <laughs> why don't you sell the rainbow dipper adjustable cup stop? by itself and let people buy them because yeah. if you only have one oh my goodness it still takes forever it does right it, you know if you have multiple kids and parents are doing it it'd be a lot better if you had sold these in packs of two or four or six or buy six. a six pack i yeah. would have definitely bought them when you guys were little yeah because yeah. yeah. what i had to do was i had to dip the egg in for a little while then take it out let it dry because i didn't want the dye running off it and this is super easy to clean because it's plastic i could just run it under water and mm-hmm. all the dye will just come nice. straight off yes yeah. we would like those we yes. would like those to be sold absolutely <laughs> along with other cups yes so my eggs tended to want to lay horizontally on it which was kind of funny <laughs> yeah it is but with some adjusting i was able to make it vertical yeah the holder is kind of ribbon shaped it kind of goes like yeah. wave shape up and down up and down and i imagine that's so you can get a little bit of a grip on the egg so it doesn't just slide off super easy but you can see that they could even make that a little bit better if they made it a little more grippy yeah so that you could turn the egg the way you wanted it and right. it would stay in there right so okay. good start but they need to keep going <laughs> with this contraption yes because i think this could be very popular i definitely loved it right 
So that be was a good Shark Tank pitch. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So these are some of the results. I saw that. That was really neat. Yeah. yeah. So she's got a couple of have. good multicolored eggs here, right? Where they have a clean delineation where the coloring was because you didn't have to hold it with your hand and it would shake Up and, and down, move and that kind right. of thing. <laughs> yes, and I actually had different coloring ideas suggested on the kit itself. Oh, interesting. Like okay. a three-color layer idea. Right. So that was probably my favorite kits. The last kit that I did was the RJ Rabbit Bump and Color Kit. And Cole <laughs> saw me use this, and so yeah. he can attest to how... I would not get my kids the Bump and Color Kit. But yes. the results are gorgeous. Yes. So here's the thing with the kit, right? It comes with these two Bump and Color trays. These plastic trays... With four sponges on it, you have four sponges on each of the edges. Yeah, so right. the idea... And they're glued onto there. They are. Is there yes. much of a lip? There's a good big lip? On Not it? a big lip, but enough of one where, okay. you know, the dye won't necessarily <laughs> okay. just run right off of it. It comes with three packets of dye. It looks like the packets that you get ketchup or mustard in. <laughs> and the idea is to pour some drops on each of the sponges, put the egg in between all four sponges and bump it around. And so you can put different colors on different sponges, that sort of thing, okay? Right. So it's supposed to come with red, blue, and yellow. And mine only came with yellow and two blues. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So my color options were a little limited. So how did you get the green then? Oh, you combined them. Yes. And then how many trays did it come with? Two. Two trays. Two trays each kit, kit. yes. The dye was very runny, so it even cautioned me when opening the dye. That it's going to come out fast? Yeah. And I was very careful. And yet somehow I still got like a few blotches on my hands. And is it dye that sticks to your fingers, your skin? Um, well, it's sticking to your thumb. I can see that there. Is that from that one? No, it actually comes off, I think, pretty well after a few washes. So do you put... All the dye on the sponges at once, or for each egg, do you put a little bit on each time? It suggested a few drops of dye on each sponge for each egg. For each egg, okay. Or at least I did that for each right. egg. So you're not drenching it to start with. Right. The dye was running and would just kind of run onto the tray. The sponges themselves weren't really absorbent. So you have the sponges that are glued down, so it's kind of hard to aim the dye onto the sponges. But even when I did, it would just kind of run onto the tray. I guess that makes sense because if it's too absorbent, then too much of the dye would go into the sponge and not onto the egg. I guess so, but as a result, there was some dye like on the tray. So I'm like, hmm. Was that a problem? It would be like if you had kids, you had to be very careful with the tray because you kind of had to um, like sift it. After you put the dye onto the corners, you put a hard-boiled egg in the middle, mm-hmm. and then you kind of move it a little bit so the egg bumps against right. each of the things. And it rolls a little bit, so right. it's getting the color that way. Right. And so I ended up having to use one of the metal egg holders to turn it. Oh, Sounds like it was a good thing you had multiple kits. Yeah. <laughs> so you used a little bit from each one. Exactly. Because <laughs> it wasn't enough of movement for it to actually roll the whole way over. You kept having to, like, move it a little bit. Right. Okay. Right. So the result is gorgeous. These eggs are, they are perfectly marbled. And they're saturated. And, and they're, they're saturated and they're with dark this bright colors. color. Yeah, they're very bright, dark colors. Yes. And you have green and yellow because right. the blue and the yellow would make green. So you must have used just yellow on one of your trays. Right. And then you used blue and yellow on the other one. So you right. can kind of see that if you had red, you may have wanted more 
trays. Right. Right, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So regarding this particular kit, I would not necessarily recommend it for children just because of how messy it could potentially be and how many eggs you would crack. That's a good point. Because the tray itself was not really meant for... Shaking. Yeah. So too vigorous of shaking, the egg would go, or the dye would have gone flying off. Exactly, exactly. But these are gorgeous eggs. All the kits, you know, were easily doable and resulted in pretty colors and enjoyed all of them. And I think the bumpin' color kit had the best and prettiest result. I agree. I think that the two RJ, what was it, RJ Rabbit something? Yes. RJ Rabbit kits seemed to do the best as far as the color depth. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Achieving the goal of what they wanted to do. Right. I agree. Well, that's fun. It is very fun and very colorful. Next year, you'll have to do four different ones that we haven't done this year. Or some (laughs) of those whipped cream items. That was really interesting, Sydney. Thank you. I found coloring Easter eggs to be one of the things that family and friends do during Easter. So I canvassed my family and friends to find out what Easter traditions they grew up with. And coloring Easter eggs is at the top of the list. Everyone I spoke to colored Easter eggs. The Easter egg dye kits from the store are the ones that people remember working with. And they weren't fancy like the variety that we have now. They were the simple cups and tablets like we were talking about last. Oh, so most people did have the cups and tablets. Yes. Bypass. Yep. Or paws. Right. (laughs) Exactly. However you say that. Something unique that my brothers, Monty and Earl, and I did with, with our colored Easter eggs was we used to crack the colored Easter eggs on my dad's head. We would say, Dad, I need to tell you something. And he'd lean down, and it would pull the egg out and crack it over his head. <laughs> you wonder why he was grumpy. <laughs> he tricked him every time. And it's funny because he did it over and over and over. It made me wonder if he told Mom how many we were allowed to do. <laughs> okay, nine eggs, they each get three <laughs> kind of thing. I don't remember that. But he would, every time, he'd lean down so that we could crack the egg over his head. I think he had a pretty hard head. <laughs> the other thing that everybody had was Easter baskets. This was a solid tradition for everyone. The majority got their Easter baskets from the Easter Bunny. Some had their baskets hidden, like Randy and our friend Trish. And, and us. And, and you <laughs> and too. Us, yep. And some, like me and my brothers, did not. Unlike you two, both Randy and Trish really enjoyed the hunting the, of the, the Easter finding, baskets. Yeah. Hunting Sid, Sydney really enjoyed it. I yes, think. I liked it. Did you? I did. I liked it when I was little, little. Yeah. So when I was growing up, there was five Easter baskets because five of us boys and Becky was already out of the house as the oldest. But hiding five Easter baskets, right, it's pretty easy to find them because there are five of them. So, But the challenge was not to let on to the other brothers where theirs was mm. because you didn't want them to find theirs first you wanted to find yours first so so it was a competition you had to be chill about it yeah <laughs> you were the youngest of the five boys in the family trish is the oldest of five girls in the family so she said she remembers her mom telling her and her other sister to let the little ones find the easier ones right so the easier baskets just walk away from them and let the little ones. Oh, find that's interesting. Those. For us, we knew what our baskets looked like. So when we found the hidden one, we knew, oh, that's Brian's or that's Bruce's. Right. 
Now, my mom was one of the younger kids in a family of seven, and she did not mention ever having Easter baskets hidden. So I don't think it's a numbers thing. Yeah, so she, she got them, but they just weren't necessarily They weren't hidden. hidden, correct. Some people got little toys and gifts in their basket. Trish remembered like jump ropes and other just little things as well as candy. You remember getting little gifts and Well, usually they were small things that could attach to the arch of the basket, the handle of the basket. So they would be like little chicks that had Mm -hmm. wires at the bottom where she could put them on the top. She might put a pair of them at the top. They were kind of made out of like wires kind of chicks is the ones I remember. Well, my brother and I did not get gifts. We got candy. And it's solely candy. And most of us remember having loose candy scattered throughout the right. basket. Yeah, right. So we were talking to our friends Trish and Eric last night and saying about how when you lifted the Easter grass, All you the would candy. see... <laughs> it was just loosely at the bottom. A bunch of candy down there. But you could also sift through the grass and find candy treasures. That's right. So that was always a lot of fun. So the Easter candy that everyone got varied... But everyone got candy in their baskets. I was texting with my brothers trying to remember what all we got. I could remember getting malted milk balls with candy coating on them. And they were like my favorite at the time growing up. (laughs) I love those. We got jelly beans. We got the little tiny Hershey's chocolate eggs. We called them footballs. And chocolate bunnies. And sometimes we get bunnies that were hollow and I never liked them. They never tasted as good. And I felt like I was gypped because <laughs> there was a gypped? great bunny yeah, and it you're, was hollow. Well, yes. and you can tell, like, as you're lifting up, like, something's wrong. Like, <laughs> right, right. This doesn't have the, the heft. Because I remember you guys actually got us hollow bunnies. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. yeah. Well, we also got solid bunnies because I remember each year when we'd get tired of our Easter candy after a little bit, of our Easter bunnies. This is when were, you were growing up. Right. They were so big. Mom would take them and chunk them up and put them in a candy dish so anybody could just grab a piece of chocolate. And my brother Earl would eat it. <laughs> he took did, care of eating the rest of the chocolate bunnies that we didn't Did want. anyone else get chocolate crosses? I as don't know that they know. were that common when we were growing Because we always, always got them. chocolate crosses, which... Looking back on as an adult, I have mixed feelings about. <laughs> I loved those chocolate crosses. Right. Like, yes. And we had. But I'm not sure, like, <laughs> if I'm comfortable eating a holy symbol. <laughs> well, you were. Right. <laughs> well, as a child, you know. You did it. You did it. And they were milk chocolate and white chocolate because. You guys really liked white chocolate. Mm-hmm. So I always made sure I had a white chocolate something. And a lot of times that was the cross. And then I grew up with just milk chocolate. You remember, Randy, also having white chocolate? Oh, yeah. I got white chocolate. But I think I may have been the only boy that either got white chocolate or liked white chocolate. We'll have to ask the brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Another Easter tradition that people took part in was an Easter egg hunt. I remember this. The little Hershey footballs that were eggs. Mom and Dad would hide them. I remember them putting them on like little ledges and things and would go find them. Now, Randy's parents had plastic eggs. Were they filled with candy plastic eggs or just empty plastic eggs? Um, so they only ever did plastic eggs as an Easter egg hunt right. outside. We didn't uh, hide eggs inside. Were they filled or were they empty? They were filled with jelly beans or M&Ms, that sort of thing. I don't think very often they were filled with other things. Well, Trish and Eric's families both hid 
hard-boiled eggs, the ones that they had colored, which was interesting to me because I would be worried about the color coming off with condensation. But Trish said she and her sisters had a lot of fun with the Easter egg hunts before Easter. So apparently after they colored their eggs for the next, whatever, week or so, they would hide them and find them. So they had their own Easter egg hunts throughout the week. And I remember other kids telling me that they did the same thing. I always would worry about the edibility of the eggs. She said that they would refrigerate them at night, but they had to be careful that they didn't get cracked too much. (laughs) (laughs) Which was so funny to me. Cracked too much. So they didn't do like the Bulgarian egg jousting. No, they didn't. (laughs) If you have kids and hard-boiled eggs, I guess they're going to get cracked somewhat. It's a matter of degree. She also said that they'd usually find an egg like a couple weeks later. (laughs) So keeping an eye on those numbers are going to be important too, how many eggs you have. Another tradition was Easter Sunday going to church. Now, Mom said she remembers wearing an Easter dress and patent leather shoes. And there are pictures of me when I was a toddler in a similar little getup, which I think we probably all put our little girls in. Mom remembers giving a little speech for the Easter service. And I remember that, too. I remember that I would have to memorize either a little scripture or a little part of a... I am glad that we didn't have to do that as kids. Yeah, or a little saying. My brothers and I would practice them. And then on Easter Sunday, you'd stand up in front of the church and you'd each you know, read your thing when you were... It was your turn. So you'd be... Well, you wouldn't read it. You'd recite. It was recitation. So I remember doing that, too. I thought that was really a cute little thing to do. Sounds like a nightmare yes, for a it, kid. For you, but yeah. for us, it was normal. Did you do anything like that, Randy? Recite things and mm-hmm. memorize things? No. We went to church, Sunday school and church on Easter morning. Right. So we did the find the basket beforehand, sneak a couple pieces of candy in, then get dressed, go to church, take Easter pictures, either before or after church, and then, you know, the rest of the day, family, food, that sort of thing. Right. Which brings me up to our next thing. The last thing I'm going to talk about is Easter dinner. Yum. I'm Yum. looking forward to that in a few weeks. <laughs> That's right. Everyone that I talk to remembers ham. Yeah. Ham seems to be the Easter dinner meat of choice. Now, I know reading about other traditions online, it seems like fish is also a possible what? main food for We could Easter. have been having fish this whole time instead <laughs> yeah. of ham. No, not for us, but for other people. Fish sounds good. We should try something new. Everyone that I have spoken to has been ham. Ham is delicious. It is. So growing up, we had ham and applesauce, potato salad, baked beans, and probably a fruit salad. And mom said that way she wouldn't spend the whole day cooking. A lot of the stuff she prepared ahead of time, put the ham in, and it was a very simple meal to have and very delicious. Yeah, the other thing I remember from the meal that my mom would do is she would make the day before homemade bread and then it would rise and had to rise twice so it took a while like you did something you let it rise you needed it again you let it rise and then she would make easter bunny rolls like shaped like little easter bunnies they were bunny buns right bunny buns i don't know if they were bunny (laughs) buns or not i don't know if they were just i thought esther said they They were bunny buns i don't remember the bunny buns (laughs) they're like the uh, the head and the ears is what they were shaped like i mean you had to go in knowing what they were (laughs) once you knew what they were you could tell what shape they were and the other thing i remember both my mom and my aunts doing is making homemade chocolate covered peanut butter 
rolls, like egg-shaped that sounds items. Good. They were pretty big. They were probably like four inches longer. They, they were big, and you would slice them up. You couldn't just eat them. And then homemade... Uh, could nougat. you not just eat them? I feel like <laughs> you totally just, just eat them. No, you're right. Yeah. I and then homemade nougat rolls, the ones covered with the nuts on the outside. Oh. Um, that we get Cracker Barrel now. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but that's why I like those so much, because my mom and I remember her sister and then other older aunts making those by hand. That's oh, wow. so interesting. I do remember sometimes getting the eggs with stuff in them, not always peanut butter, but some different Yeah, nu- sometimes they the... had nougat in it. They, yeah. I don't think they were homemade, but they were just like these little, well, big eggs, but big not eggs. huge. Yeah, even back then, they sold them in like a little box you yes, could buy exactly. and made. And bakeries did those a lot when we were growing up. You okay. could buy them in little boxes. And they were decorated with flowers or something on the outside. Right. I'm sure there are other traditions out there, but those are the common ones that came up among family and friends. You know, it's a funny thing what you appreciate as a kid of those traditions and what you appreciate as an adult. Because it's definitely a different kind of dynamic. Like, I might like the Easter baskets as a kid. Like, you know, going and searching and finding them and everything, but not so much once I started getting older, yeah. Right. And you never know what traditions are going to really stick with a particular person either. You know, there are some traditions I'm sure I'm just forgetting, yeah. but other ones I remember distinctly. Right. 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 Like and I never encouraged the kids to crack eggs over your head. And I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would have been pretty fun though. <laughs> it was. For some. <laughs> but I know for us, a lot of times watching movies was a tradition that we would do around Easter and around Christmas time. Right. And you guys are much more attached to that tradition than I am. Mm -hmm. But there's one film that I always watched around Easter time that I still watch every Easter time. Whether you guys watch it with me or not, I think it's on, I've seen it on Netflix instant, so I know it's on there. And that's the Ten Commandments, which is the 1956 film, which is, I believe... 220 minutes long. Yeah, it was a long one. And when we were growing up, because it's related to Passover, which is the week before Easter, it always was on network television. So that was a tradition that I grew up, and my mom and I always watched the Ten Commandments during the week. Imagine that 220 minutes with commercials. Yeah. It was a long night. That's rough. (laughs) But I always grew up, not really knowing why, but associating Easter with the story of the Ten Commandments. Right. Because we always watched that, you know, and there was some grumbling about it when we were kids because... Why do we have to watch this? It was a long movie, (laughs) and, you know, we didn't have any real appreciation for... The finer things of life. For the finer... (laughs) For the art that is this movie. This movie's really highly rated, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is great. I think that there's... Probably this movie and the animated movie are the two that most people talk about when they talk about the story of the Ten Commandments. As kind of an aside, the other movie that we often watched as a kid, or I often watched as a kid growing up, was after Easter, usually during spring, and that was The Wizard of Oz. And I guess they played that because of the tornado scene. Every spring, that's why they always played it. That's hilarious. But it was always in spring, and it was usually shortly after Easter that we watched The Wizard of Oz. That's funny. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. It's this one around Easter time, 
and the Muppet Christmas Carol around oh, yes. Christmas time. Those oh, yes. are the two that I always watch, the no matter what. Yeah. yeah. So the tradition of movies around holidays stuck with you, just not necessarily all the ones that Mom right. and I would watch. Like, you guys love the Charlie Brown films. Right. I'm not a huge fan of them. Oh. That's appalling. It That's is. That's horrible, I know. But I found out that this... Wait, I just need a moment. Okay. A moment of, <laughs> a moment of disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, uh, The Ten Commandments is a biblical drama, and it's labeled as an epic film. So it it, is it's, epic. it's a biblical epic, and it traces the story of Moses, who was a prince of Egypt, who then liberated the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt at that time. Um, so, something that was really cool that I didn't know was that it was filmed on site in Egypt. What? At the Sinai Peninsula. Really? Yep. I did wow. not know that either. I think that's part of the reason it holds up so well. <laughs> Probably. Yep. <laughs> it's got some great backgrounds. Yep. Set pieces yeah. that are yeah. now that I know this even more Egyptian looking. <laughs> right. Very convincing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Wow, nice. So I'm just going to run through the, the plot real quick, and feel free to jump in with any. The pharaoh at the time, who was Ramses I, had prophesied to him that a newborn Hebrew boy would lead the Israelites out of slavery, which would lead to ruin for Egypt. So he ordered that all of the Hebrew newborn males be killed throughout Egypt, which was a huge slaughter. I think anybody under the age of two? two? Yeah, I think that's right. Anyone under the age of two or anyone... Very young. Yeah. Anyone they chose to, probably. Anyone they probably they chose to. Yeah. yeah, when he gave the green light for soldiers to go out and kill a bunch of people, yeah. there was probably some collateral damage. So a woman named Yoshebel saved her son from execution by setting him in a basket on the Nile River and setting him afloat. I'm not sure why that was the best option. I was thinking all those crocodiles would be nearby. Right. Nile crocodiles, pretty famous. Yes, uh, right. Famously aggressive creatures. Right. But, you know, I guess you picked the lesser of two evils there. I've got to say it. I mean, by putting him in that river, he was pretty much in denial. <laughs> that's, that's rough. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the jungle cruise. <laughs> that's rough. But it's... One of the funny things that I thought about, like, if the Nile happened to not be flowing very quickly, like, soldiers could have just walked by and been like, oh. Or too quickly, it could have went, whoop, down the river. So the basket eventually made its way to the pharaoh's daughter, who had been praying for a son. So she took him as her own, and she named him Moses, which has some connection to, and the name Moses has some connection to being drawn out of the Nile. Drawn out of the water. Drawn out of the water, yep. Of course, this is a drama, so a lot of this is... There's a lot added to the story. There's a lot added (laughs) to the story. There's a lot that's romanticized. Right. Yeah, Um, Hollywood. So, so, yeah, this is like Hollywood, Hollywood. Yes, big-time Hollywood at the time. Big-time Hollywood at the time. So, this should not be taken as historical fact, but as a drama that's based on historical biblical events. 
And we do have a lot of non-biblical evidence that Moses existed. So Moses grew up, became very successful, very successful military leader. And in the film, we're introduced to him as an adult coming back from a victory in Ethiopia, which resulted in an alliance. And Moses and a princess named Nefertiri are in love. But Nefertiri must marry the next pharaoh, who will be Ramses II. Right, so Moses is an adopted son. The so other guy is the, the heir. The heir, right? But in Egyptian world, according to this, that doesn't necessarily mean he gets to be the pharaoh, right? Ramses the first could choose Moses over him, right? And Ramses the second is in charge of building a treasure city for the old pharaoh, which is not going well. The Israelites, the slaves, are in charge of building this city, and they're being treated horribly by Ramses II's men. Many of them are being killed on the job. So Moses goes to the treasure city. Well, under the Pharaoh's orders, Moses goes down to finish the treasure city. Right. And Ramses is kind of like, oh, you know, yeah, it's a it's a problem, like you couldn't do it any better than me. But Moses goes and he actually saves an old woman from being crushed in the blocks, and then he gives the Israelites the grain that's stored up in the temple, which is a big no no for the Egyptians, but he said that well fed slaves will work better and he also gives them one day in seven off, which they call Moses' day. So at this point, Ramses II is kind of worm-tonguing his father, saying that Moses is is going to lead the Israelites against him. Treason, basically. Right, it's treason, basically. And while working on the city, Moses meets a stonecutter named Joshua, who tells him about the Hebrew God. And through a series of other events, first Nefertiri learns that he was actually a Hebrew, and then... Eventually, Ramses learns about it. So Moses is confused, so he leaves Egypt for a short time to find out who he is, and then he comes back. And when he comes back is when he's betrayed by Ramses and forced into exile. So he goes out into the desert, and he finds a desert people there, and he learns more about God and his connection to the Hebrew people. So at that point, God compels him to go back and free his people from Ramses. And that's where the very famous plagues come into effect. By this point, Ramses I has died, and Ramses II is the pharaoh of all Egypt. And married to Nefertiri? And married to Nefertiri. And they have a son. So Moses comes back, and he tells Ramses to let his people go. And every time he tells Ramses to let his people go, Ramses refuses and a plague happens. And the plagues are could be horrible boils and all of the livestock in Egypt dies. Flies, gnats. Flies, gnats. The Nile turns to blood. Right. But the last one is what we celebrate for Passover, which is when the angel of death came down over Egypt. So the Hebrews were told to slaughter a lamb and paint the doorframe with the blood so the angel of death would know to pass over their house. So the angel of death 
came into Egypt and killed every firstborn. And the angel of death in the movie is like this is smoky... Like a... Sinister... A smoke. Yeah. Right, that sort of through. flows through. Kind of like a greenish color smoke. Mm-hmm. That just kind of goes into homes and... That was pretty creepy. Yeah, that that was creepy. I also remember that as a kid. Because you see it coming down from the sky, too. Sort right. of the... It's at night. And I think at one point it looks like a hand sort of yeah, reaching yes. down. Yeah, the hand. Yeah, you're right. Its fingers just goes out. Yeah, its fingers, streets. like tendrils, sort of go out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Passover is a Jewish holiday where they celebrate the spirit of death passing over. And that's the point when, after this Pharaoh's son dies, that the Pharaoh lets the Hebrew people go. And the movie goes on for actually quite some time after that. You know, the Pharaoh changes his mind, goes after them. Moses parts the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk to freedom. And then there's back and forth and more Hollywood drama. And definitely check out the film if you have a chance. But that's one that I always remember. Yeah, it's a classic. from From my childhood. And I always still try to watch. Another classic of that big Hollywood time is the movie Easter Parade, which is a 1948 musical film starring Judy Garland, Fred Astaire, Peter Lawford, with music by Irving Berlin, who some of us know really well, and featured songs such as Easter Parade, Steppin' Out With My Baby, and Where a Couple of Swells, which <laughs> cracks me up. I had never watched that movie before. Have you guys ever seen Easter Parade? I have Parade? never even heard no. of it before. No. So it's a good movie. It's a musical where there's a Broadway star named Don Hughes, played by Fred Astaire, who has a dancing partner, played by Ann Miller, who goes solo. So the dancing partner goes solo, and Don declares that he can make a hit performer out of the next dancer he sees. This turns out to be the inexperienced Hannah, played by Judy Garland. And Don tries to make her into a great dancer like his previous partner was, but then realizes what she's really good at is singing. That's what she's best at. And she's okay at dancing. So he turns it around. He focuses on her singing. But in the end, he realizes he's falling in love with Hannah. And Don knows he must let her go and grow into her own kind of dancer if he wants her to reach her full potential. So the problem as I watched this movie was the beginning of the movie has the Easter parade in it. And they reference, by next year at this time... You'll be the one, you, Hannah, the inexperienced one, will be the one that everyone stares at in the Easter parade. So the only other Easter thing during the whole movie is at the very end (laughs) when they say, hey, it's Easter, and now I'm famous, and then they end the movie with the Easter parade. So the Easter parade is in the beginning and the end, and that's pretty much it. So it brackets the film. (laughs) Yeah, but not much of an Easter parade, really. That's funny. But it did make me wonder, what is the Easter parade? And why do people celebrate it? So a little bit of information about that. The most known Easter parade that there is still is in New York City each year. And still even to this day. So that tradition hasn't been lost. And it's an annual parade that kicks off at St. Patrick's Cathedral and marches up 5th Avenue to 55th, to 55th Street every year. It's a tradition that started back in the 1800s and... It goes from 10 to 4 p.m. on Easter Sunday, and it's the biggest stroll of finery, including some very fancy bonnets. And today, there's even beyond the regular parade, there's also something called the Bonnet Festival, 
where participants show off their wackiest headgear. So in the mid-19th century, Gothic churches like New York's Trinity Church and St. Patrick's Cathedral would decorate their sanctuaries with Easter flowers. And this practice grew and caught on and then eventually became synonymous with the holiday. Around the same time, female churchgoers would channel the elaborate floral displays by donning their finest dresses and hats, such that by the 1880s it had become such a spectacle that the high society Christians would walk from church to church to see the various sanctuaries and what they did and to show off their clothes. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So that's why it became a parade was those middle and lower class people would watch these citizens with the fancier clothes walk from church to church along the way. So it's so funny. Yeah. It was in 1837 that Victoria, who became the Queen of England, had taken away the historic puritanical bans on celebrations. So Queen Victoria was much more of a partier. So she let out a lot of new traditions or traditions to be brought in from like Germany and other places. Hey, a party goer by 1830 British standards. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so during her reign from 1837 to 1901, a lot of celebrations for Easter and Christmas came in, and now those continue to this day. So one of the things I found interesting about that was that a lot of the Easter traditions have stayed the same over time. Like the baskets, the eggs, coloring eggs, rolling eggs, finding eggs, the Easter dinners. A lot of those things have stayed the same since Queen Victoria's time versus some of the other holidays we've looked at where they've morphed over time quite a bit. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I actually saw that. Even the rabbit with the eggs goes back centuries. Right. It's just a matter of... He used to lay the eggs, and now we're doing the hiding them. Right. So that tradition of fancy clothes was both in the United Kingdom as well as in America. In the United States, after the 1870s, which was the end of the Civil War, people were stepping out and feeling much more positive, like there was a positive future ahead for the country. And that was mimicked by what people were wearing for Easter services along the way. And each year after the 1870, more and more people started to do this. And it kind of hit the peak of its popularity in the 1940s, where an estimated million people attended the New York City Easter Parade. Oh, my. Now, today's standards, it's more about 30,000 people show up year to year. But the 1940s was the peak, which is when the Easter Parade movie had come out, was 1948. And that movie was released in 1948, although it was supposed to echo a 1900s kind of feel to it. But when you saw the scene of the Easter parade on camera, the lines of the streets were just packed with people wearing their Easter bonnets and comparing notes as far as their different type of Easter gear. So I thought that was interesting. So that wraps it up for our Easter episodes for this year. For future festivities, for the week of April 22nd, uh, the 22nd, I actually have two down for. One, it's Dingus Day. It's what? Dingus Day. But it's also National Jelly Bean Day, which I thought was funny because this year that falls the day after Easter. The 23rd is Lover's Day. The 24th of April is Administrative Professionals Day or Executive Administrative Day or Secretary's Day. Lots of different ways to look at it. April 25th is Bring Your Child to Work Day, which originally started out as Bring Your Daughters to Work Day, but it's now expanded to Bring Your Child to Work Day. Was that 
because it was assumed that your son was in like a factory or something at the time. Well, I don't it, know how far that goes back. It, it goes back pretty far, and the idea at the time was to take daughters to work, to expose them to things that they could do. So that goes back many, many decades. Twenty-six mm-hmm. of April is Arbor Day, and the twenty-seventh of April is Tell a Story Day. You can find us on social media. For Twitter, it's at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, it's at holiday moons. Facebook, you can also find us by searching for Holiday Moons for both a Facebook page and a group. And you can contact us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Sydney, Beth, Cole, and Randy, Happy Happy Easter. Easter!